0: Have you ever noticed that your windshield is much larger than your rearview mirror? That's probably the dumbest question you'll hear all day. Do you ever wonder why? The answer is obvious. We're intended to move forward. Far more than we're intended to look backwards. You know, I've known a lot of folks who spend an unhealthy amount of time looking in the rearview mirror, where they've been, and chronically beating themselves up for their sins and their habits and their hangups of the past. Well, I've got some great news for you today. Your windshield a lot bigger than your rearview mirror. And God wants us to move forward, regardless of the yesterdays. Have you ever done what you promised you'd never do? Have you ever said what you promised you'd never say? Have you ever gone where you promised you'd never go? Have you ever been who you promised you'd never be? Let's get it over with. The answer for all of us is yes, yes, how do I know? We're all human. And in our humanness, we're not flawless. We're not absolutely perfect all the time. What's the Lord's attitude towards our inconsistencies? When what we did or what we said or how we reacted was undebatably out of bounds from his plan and purpose and intentions for us. A review of Peter's journey will give us a good look. Let's start in Luke 22 at verse 31. 22nd chapter of Luke, 31st verse, Jesus opened the conversation using Peter's formal name, Simon. At Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. I was curious when I noticed Jesus used Peter's formal name, Simon, twice in succession. Simon, Simon. And as I researched it, I found out he wasn't yelling at him. He was on his case and in his face. It carried with a tone and a flavor of empathy and compassion and care and concern. Simon. Simon. You know, he did that again. There's another story in gospel literature. Jesus and the boys took a break at some friends. Home, Mary and Martha. And as the stories unfold, we find Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, learning and listening. And her sister, Martha's in the kitchen with a bad attitude. My imagination, I could see Martha in her hot kitchen, blow a pearl bead of sweat from the end of her nose. And with a rigid index finger, push a row of sweat from her brow. My mind, I see her grit her teeth and wad up her fist. And punch it into a lump of dough my mind, I can hear her rattle some pots and pans, deliberately sending some nonverbal signal into the living room, suggesting to her sister, get in here and help me. Finally, in Martha's hot kitchen, her frustration boiled over, and we find her coming out and aggressively confronting Jesus and her sister, accusing Jesus of his insensitivity, and her sister of laziness and negligence. When uh, Martha finally came up for air, do you remember what Jesus said? What did he say? Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon. He wasn't yelling at her. Empathy, compassion, care, and concern. He did it again. Looking across the skyscape of Jerusalem, With a tear in his eye and a prayer in his heart, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How awful I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings, but you weren't willing. He wasn't yelling at the skyscape of the city. Empathy and compassion and care and concern. He did it again. Post resurrection appearance. Saul was on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him in vision. You know what he said, don't you? What did he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He wasn't yelling at him. And I got to tell you something else. He's not here to yell at you this morning. He comes and looks you lovingly and caringly, empathetically in the face. With empathy and compassion and care and concern. Simon, Simon. Martha, Martha. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Saul, Saul. For a few minutes this morning, would you insert your name there? And imagine that Jesus who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Is here to visit with us this morning by his Holy Spirit from his word. Would you put your name there? Simon, Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan is out to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. That indicates that uh, he's totally aware that we have an enemy whose strategy and tactic is to bring us down in defeat and failure. But he says, I have prayed for you. Paul says in Romans, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing there? Interceding for us. Petitioning the Father on our behalf. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to shift you as wheat. Jesus was thoroughly aware of Satan and his strategy and tactics. Present and observing when God kicked the Satan and a third of the angels out of heaven. Jesus is quoted as saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He's totally aware of Job and his time of trial. And Jesus himself, after he was baptized in the river Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where there he hit Satan head on for those 40 days. He's totally aware that we have an enemy whose strategy and tactic is to bring us down to defeat and failure. But he says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And my favorite word in this passage comes next, and when. When? What's the big deal about When? He didn't say if. In one little word, he predicted a positive outcome to the forthcoming storm. He said, when you wake up and get your act together, get back on the job. Strengthen your brothers. What's this telling us? Jesus knows our human situation. That we have an enemy whose strategy and tactic is to bring us down in defeat and failure. He goes to bat for us before the Father in intercessory prayer and even predicts a positive outcome to the forthcoming storm. Well, in his boastful, predictable way, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus tossed him a wake-up call and said, get real. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. What's the lesson here? Jesus knows. Our human situation. That we have an enemy who's trying to defeat us. Well, beyond that, look at verse 54 of that same chapter. They finished their meal. They went across the Kidron Valley up on the side of the hill in the Olive Grove. And eventually, here came Judas to betray Jesus with a kiss. Peter was at all mouth. He's the one who pulled out a sword and started swinging. He was functioning in his own human initiative. There's quite a skirmish. We pick up the story at verse 54. Luke 22. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You were also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept. Luke, given to precision and accuracy and description, found an adverb to attached to wept. What is it? Bitterly. It means self-loathing, heaving convulsion. If he had the idea that he found a Kleenex and blotted a tear from his eye, forget it. He fell in a pile like a sack of 100-pound feed kicked off a tailgate of a pickup truck. I see him tear his hair and pull his beard and pound on his chest. He absolutely hated what he'd done. Have you ever said what you promised you'd never say? Have you ever done what you promised you'd never do? You ever gone where you promised you'd ever go? Have you ever been who you promised you'd never be? The scripture is telling us Jesus knows our human situation, but here in verse fifty-four and following, He understands our failure. I've heard teachers and preachers beat up on Peter from this passage for following afar off. King James here, NIV says at a distance. Well, I gotta tell you, at least he followed. Where were all those other guys? It was a cool night. And the local town folks built a fire. And a fire ring in the middle of the patio. And they encircled the fire ring and sat down. And in unison, those locals pressed their palms against the flames, hoping to chase away the chill of the night. In my mind, I see some shadows dancing on a nearby rock wall. And Peter, with whatever subtlety he's capable of, found an opening in the circle. And slowly and silently, he encroached, kind of like an evangelist at baggage claim at the airport. And he sat down and shared the warmth. And pretty soon, a teenage waitress, with a tilted head and a squinted eye, and an identifying pointed index finger really turned up the heat on Pete. And said, this man was with him. And he impulsively, abruptly, Well, and I don't know him. Get the picture. Half hour earlier, he's the same guy that pulled out a sword to take on those who'd come to arrest Jesus. Half hour later, he couldn't even stand up under the pressure of a teenage waitress index finger. A little later, somebody else recognized it. And he turned up the volume on his denial. Man, I am not. An hour later, he was nailed by his obvious Galilean accent. And he turned the volume to the max and said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. About that moment in that pre-dawn hour, some multicolored rooster hopped on top a nearby rock wall, stretched out his neck, and crowed out the indictment of Peter's triple denial. The Bible says when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Read that in the Gospel of Mark. It says he looked down at Peter. does say he looked down on him. He said he looked down at him. So what? What's the significance? A little bit of homework reveals Jesus was questioned in a building adjacent to the courtyard. Probably on a Second floor room adjacent a window or a balcony where there would be unobstructed eye contact between where Jesus was standing and where Peter was on the courtyard. I wondered many times when their eyes met, what did Peter feel like? Have you ever been sitting at a red light waiting for the light to change? You felt somebody looking at you? And you slowly turn your head and your eyes met with the guy in the car next to you. And you jerk your head back. You ever do that? What is going on there? I don't have a clue. What was it like when Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter? I got a confession for you. For years, I have been guilty of assuming that was a dirty look. An ugly, hateful stare and glare, silently signaling, way to go, you no good, low-down, flaky, irresponsible, undependable disciple. I told you you were going to mess up. (laughs) But upon subsequent prayer and introspection and study and counseling, I have concluded No way was that a dirty look. Simon, Simon. Empathy, compassion, care, and concern. And when you turn back, strengthen your brother's. For Jesus to now turn, give him an ugly, hateful stare and glare would be totally inconsistent, mismatched, and incongruent with what he said earlier. I'm convinced now, beyond any debate, when Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter, there was a kindly gaze and an affirming nod, a gentle smile, with a hint and reminder hang in there, buddy. Remember, we talked about this deal. I'm not giving up on you. You're still on the team. Keep wearing a jersey. We're going to get through this deal together. He knows our human situation. But he also understands our failure. There's further insight from John 21. Post-resurrection appearance. Jesus showed up on the beach. Helped them fill their boat with a miraculous catch. And fixed breakfast for everybody. We won't read the entire chapter. But let's jump over to John 21. At verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this in to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, what? What? Follow Me. Jesus knows our human situation. He understands our failure. He takes initiative to restore us. Rewind it. Three and a half years. Jesus, baptized in the River Jordan, headed to the wilderness, hits Satan head on for 40 days, comes back, has to put together his team. Stops by Levi's, Matthew's tax office, recruits him, heads down to the beach and finds four fellows. Who were they? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What did he say to those guys? Follow me. Now, after Peter's substantial failure, what did Jesus say to him? The same two words. Follow me. What's it saying to us? He doesn't give up on us. But you might be thinking, but you don't know what I did. I don't got a clue what you did. You don't know how often I failed. No, it's none of my business. But I do know that the Bible says he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother and said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He understands our failures and he takes initiative to restore us. Showed up on the beach Help them fill the boat. Evidently, according to the scriptures, John, the beloved the disciple, that recognizes, Hey, you guys, ask Jesus who's up there. Just fill the boat. 153 large fish. I guess we've always had a Sunday school superintendent taking the head count. <laughs> Peter, impulsively, jumped into water and swam 100 yards the length of a football field. I've been on the Sea of Galilee, Vicky and I, at dawn. It's cold and windy. And he pulls himself up out of the water, hair matted, beard dripping, teeth chattering, garments clinging. And Jesus and Peter have a one-on-one visit after breakfast. And he never rubbed it in. He never humiliated him. He never put him down. Three times Peter denied he knew the Lord. Three times Jesus verified, are you dead serious about loving me? And after affirmative response to that question, three times you said, get back on the job. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He knows our human situation. He understands our failure. He takes initiative to restore us. But there's another insight I found right next door in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told them, stay, wait, pray, fast, tarry, until the coming of the Holy Spirit. They did so. In Acts 2.1, you read the account of the day of Pentecost. But God needed a preacher on that historic day. And of all the potential preachers available for him to choose, who did God select? Peter! Acts 2.14. I won't read this whole sermon. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Though this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And he continues to preach his Pentecost Day message. And at verse forty, Luke gives us a bottom line conclusion of what happened. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, "Save yourself from this corrupt generation." Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. You ever done what you promised you never do? Ever said what you promised you never say? Ever gone where you promised you'd never go? Ever been what you promised you'd never be? I got some great news for you today. Your windshield is way bigger than your rearview mirror, and he wants you to move forward. He knows our human situation and understands our failure. He takes initiative to restore us, and according to Acts two. A sanctified, spirit-filled, dedicated disciple to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got great plans for our future. And Peter went on to have a significant and substantial influence and impact for Christ and for souls before he left this world. I'm wondering if there's something you and the Lord need to talk over before you go. No hassle. No pressure. No manipulation. Just a kind cordial, encouraging opportunity to do yourself a favor and have a quiet visit with the Lord before you leave. You may prefer to use the altar. You're welcome to come forward. If kneeling is not possible for you physically, you're welcome to be seated on the front row of chairs. Please stand and bow your heads. In a moment, we'll share a few verses of invitation. And without any hassle or pressure, I'd just like to give you the chance. To have a talk with God. Truth is, you'll never have a better time than now or a better place than here.